0: You don't effect superficial change to rise the cultural moment. Because purpose is about, it defines what you do when nobody's looking. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of posturing and gesturing, all under the guise of being purpose-led.
1: You're listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we just ask you one more question? And that's the antithesis of what this podcast is. It's about sharing the best conversations we've had with significant creators, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating purposeful brands. This season is focused around unpacking the topic of purpose, exploring what purpose means in its many forms, and we share how people are using purpose to build great companies and successful brands. I'm your host, Ross Drex. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Cesar Kele Mariklule. This is the second time we've had her on the podcast. She was actually just that good. Cesar Kele is a strategic executive and creative problem solver. She works in business development, brand strategy, leadership, and entrepreneurship. She's a published columnist, advisor, facilitator, public speaker, investor, and mentor. She's also just one of the nicest people in the world to have a conversation with. We talk about her journey to focus on female entrepreneurs, how she decided to do this, and the results both expected and unexpected. We explore what it's like to be disrupted when you're not ready. Enjoy. Well, Zah, thank you so much for coming back on our podcast um, again for a, a second time. I, I really appreciate it.
0: It's always a pleasure, Ross, having conversations with you. I think because I come into it thinking that it's going to be lovely and easy. And then you ask all these um, deep questions that compel reflection in the moment, but also a sense of authenticity in the delivery. So it's always a joy. So thank you for having us again. Awesome.
1: I mean, now you put me under a lot of pressure to ask good questions. <laughs> so, so I think before we before we hit record, um, you know, we were talking about uh, you know the work that you're doing, and I, and I loved what you said: is is that there's a beautiful thing when you disrupted when you are not ready. Can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, what this this whole kind of pandemic and and all the crazy behavior that's resulted from it has has led you in your business and and what are you kind of doing with your your yourself and your your consultancy
0: you know uh, ross the in the beginning you panic right you think oh my god what am i going to do what am i going to do and then when you stop spinning you can actually start thinking um in this in 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 my case I think I spent the first two weeks just spinning, which is not a good space because it means your brain is also just bobbing around in your scalp. Um, and when you stop spinning, then you can ask these fundamental questions, which is, um, what is my business? Do I have a business? Is this what I want to continue doing? Or what do I need to stop, start, and continue if I am to thrive beyond this moment? And then a, a question that's quite closely related to that is, what do I mean by this moment? How long will it last? You know, because very quickly, when we went into level five or level, level four, level three, we started hearing these conversations about life post-COVID. And I thought, mm. it is not something that is in the future. This is the life post-COVID. Like, you know, this is the life we are living already. So I, I, I was humbled When I needed to just reflect and go, if 80% of your income is wiped off in one decision because of one um, crucial disruption, how else then are you going to thrive? You know, what are your measures of success outside of revenue and profit generation? Because that's the important part. And that's how I guess you finally end up at what is the purpose versus what is the driver? So yeah, we have been <laughs> shaken awake. I've had to catch a quick VUKA. <laughs> and here we are.
1: So so I mean you talked about that word purpose and and like I was saying to you earlier, that that we believe purpose is is actually a very powerful tactical business driver and it can be a force for for focus and change and drive and innovation and Exciting things in businesses. Can you can you share a little bit about what your what your purpose is, uh, you know, and what is the purpose of your your company, and and what what's driving you forward?
0: So uh, when I'm asked to introduce myself um, earlier on, I would be the CEO and founder of Maricel Co. That's gone um, because that's a role, right? Um, I now I now introduce myself by the things that I contribute to the world. So. I'm an intersectional strategist, so I work at that intersection of commerce, creativity, and culture. And why do I do that? I do that so I can unlock growth for humans in their personal and professional lives. That that is the objective. It is, Mm. if I'm not able to unlock growth, then I'm not being of influence, which is my own key word. Whereas I think other people have mantras or vision statements. I just have that one word, just to be of influence. So... If you were to ask, therefore, what is one's purpose? I have defined it as using this creative gift um, to unlock solutions that help humans thrive because that's just all it is. Um, Mm. We have been able to do it for big and small brands. We've been able to do it for individuals in in my private coaching sessions. And increasingly, we want to extend that might to the businesses of female entrepreneurs. So that's, that's what um, that statement is. Up front, you said you believe that purpose-led businesses can effect lasting change. I agree with you. If we were in the same room, I'd high-five you. because <laughs> <laughs> True, you know. Um, unfortunately for you and I, um, Ross, what we have seen in recent time is the bastardization of that term right? Um, it's been used by brands with no anchor as a hang-on. Um, it's been used by lazy marketers as a marketing tactic. Um, yes. it's, it's been used by lazy CEOs to zhuzh up their annual reports. Right. So, yes. so what we, what you're seeing now, particularly if you if you reference the pandemic as we're experiencing it here. The global movement of brands aligned to Black Lives Matter. All of a sudden you've got um, Unilever saying we're not selling skin lighters in, in skin lightening things anymore in India. You've got the anti Jemima brand saying, okay, we're going to discontinue Anti Jemima because we realize that it's linked to some sort of slavery history. You've got the um, the band, the I think it's called Anti-Bellum, who are now abbreviating the the term of their banned because they realize that that's also that also has some link to slavery the question here is you don't effect superficial change to rise the cultural moment Mm. because purpose is about it defines what you do when nobody's looking and unfortunately we are seeing a lot of posturing and gesturing all under the guise of being purpose-led so yeah
1: I love that. I had a conversation with Bruce Mao, who's one of the, the kind of most prolific brand builders of our time. And, and he had he said something that really stuck with me is uh, you know, I asked him, I was like, you know, how do you know if a brand is is being authentic or or if they on purpose? And he was like, You turn the volume off. So if you can't hear what companies are saying, if you can't hear what the marketing department is putting out there, you can only judge by what you see and what they do and that is such a a a big shift and i think if you can align those things that when you're talking and acting people pick up that this is the same message that it's not not one thing you know in one direction and another thing in another Um, we've got a a, i think a challenge in in south africa because so often uh, the big companies jump onto these things uh, I mean I was in one of the big banks and the the statement I heard or saw on a wall was our purpose is your purpose now that that doesn't make any sense and it might look really really good in a boardroom but when it actually comes out there into the world it, you're not actually saying anything or trying to to do anything and I find that to be quite uh ungenuine
0: that is true I and and you know I think Ross uh purpose led brands have CEOs and everyone in the C-suite on message so they don't leave purpose to the marketing department, as it were.
1: You've made quite a bold move uh, in the fact that you've you said no to quite a large group of people. So you're saying that you're only working with female entrepreneurs, um, you know, which in theory cuts down half the market, but in reality it actually cuts down... 80% of the market to you? Like, what what is that, that done, that kind of bold move that you've made? Like, what have, what have been the, the sort of the things you didn't expect? Like, like how did you drive that decision and, and what has the impact of it been?
0: You know, I, I think the, my mother used to say that a principle isn't a principle until it costs you money. So many of us are, are comfortable making decisions when we, we have a sense that we can still earn a living and buy champagne and sit and watch glowing sunsets. This 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 um, increased focus on female entrepreneurs for me is the ultimate test, I guess, where the rubber hits the road. The The idea that what I've been able to apply to help big brands succeed over the last 20 years is the same sort of muscle that these female entrepreneurs need. I mean, we've got, as I was saying um, before this conversation, there's, you have this obsession um, that everybody agrees that entrepreneurship is what we need to drive, and that's what's going to alter our reality as a country, as a continent, as a developing uh, region, and therefore as a world. Yet we are not paying attention to where those key Drivers are, and more importantly, where we should be turning up or lowering mm. the volume. What I've seen in the last three years is an obsession with the startup culture, right? So you've got incubators, accelerators, and all these hodonkis that are happening at the starting stage. And on the other end of the pendulum, you've got obsession with um, people who can now globalize and take their brands beyond um, uh, several national boundaries. But there's this missing middle, You know, the people who need to graduate from mm-hmm. high school to university, who's looking after them? Nobody is. And that's why I've decided to step into that void, to just go, I I know enough to know how to give you guidance and support on your journey to tertiary. But you have to show up for mm-hmm. yourself. But here are the things that we can teach you to help you get there. So it's, I guess it's like a, a personal trainer who's, who works with you at the beginning of the year and says, okay, what's your objective? I want to fit into the jeans I used, I fitted into when I started dating my wife. Fantastic. This is the plan. This is the program. This is what I will do as your trainer. And this is what you would have to do as a person on the journey with me. So, yeah.
1: Um, that's that's very interesting. And, and why, like why specifically women in business? Like, what is that... What is the, the, the thing that makes you passionate about working with, with these ladies?
0: Firstly, men don't need help from me. I mean, like, <laughs> the world just organized. <laughs> <laughs> the, the world is just like one amorphous boys club. So nobody needs my help in that department. The second piece is the data is there that shows how if we truly can support um, the efforts of female entrepreneurs, we can see the the parallel effect in the growth of communities and families. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. The second one is by concentrating on entrepreneurs, or at least i trying to raise entrepreneurs, I'm also aiming to challenge just the, the ecosystem of funding mm-hmm. these businesses. Because oftentimes when you speak about Female businesses. Many people immediately think of a small business. Mm. So the one intercept is saying to the women in the community, "Stop saying I run a small business. You just run a business." So that's the first part. Then the second part is saying, "What are the what are the blind spots that people in the in the financial services sector have?" when it comes to supporting female entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've spoken about a gender lens. We've also spoken about people's unconscious biases. But we also need to speak about how some women don't necessarily think of themselves as business people. You know, somebody has been selling chickens and tomatoes and onions, and she thinks she's just making ends meet. We like, no, you're running an enterprise. So there's a lot of work that we need to do in just getting women to, to step into their own light and, and grow their craft, show up for the things they don't know, so they can start to pull together a convincing case of why people should choose them. why should people choose their brand over the next mm. brand and and why vCs and bankers should invest in their
1: businesses yeah it is super interesting, and I think you're starting to see globally more and more success stories. I think there's quite a few uh, or not quite a few I think it's this the beginning of this movement of so people investing in. Non, non businesses not like them because I think, like you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of people, uh, you know, old white men giving young white men money to build businesses. Uh, you know that that's that's like you say is is completely fine. Um, and I think it is super interesting to see what what shape all of these new businesses are going to take because I think it is that there's a very a very one-dimensional view of what a business should look like, and I think uh, there's so much more potential out there. Um, you know, there's movements like like B corporation and things like that that are kicking up, like thinking about business as a force for good. And I think it is interesting that that there's a whole portion of of society that hasn't contributed to this narrative. know for a long time and there is definitely space and 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 use for it i think especially in a time like this because the world is is different um so i think the solutions we need now are not the same as what we used in the past so i think there is going to to be a broadening of of ideas and and thinking
0: i mean audrey lord said that um you can't use the tools that built the master's house to undo the master's house, mm-hmm. to your point, right? So the trouble that got us here isn't going to get us mm-hmm. out. So we so we are looking for new ways of attacking this problem. I guess it also then links to why I registered and trademarked the term entrepreneur, which firstly, it makes me sound French. <laughs> uh-huh. But secondly, it is important to, to identify, I guess in the same way that not all females are feminists. Not all female entrepreneurs are fentrepreneurs. So our finest hour as an intervention is deliberate in becoming fertile ground. So where you can come in as a female entrepreneur, exit as a fentrepreneur, and hopefully accelerate your ability to fulfill your ambitions the right way. So that's the first piece. The second piece is around um the diversity that's required to get us out of this mess. I hear the term diversity used often. It's interesting, it's beautiful, but I've also started to just interrogate that a little bit more. Because I think for us, what we need is more than just diversity. What we need is inclusivity. So, mm. and when I'm asked to 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 describe, here's, here's the analogy I use that diversity is having 12 different colored crayons. And inclusivity is each crayon having equal opportunity to being used. And part of what we need to see is not just, oh, yeah, we've got different people around the table with different lived experiences. It is it's to create space for each individual to enrich the outcome mm-hmm. by contributing their own unique story.
1: I love that. And I think it, it does open up, you know, I suppose the narrative of business is, is growth? You know, you need to keep growing, and you need to do a certain you know thing. And I think there's a very interesting conversation that I've started to hear: people going, "Well, what if we didn't need to grow? You know, what if we needed to grow to a certain size, and then that was okay? Like, yeah, that, that's enough." So I think there are, and that's just one expression of of how it, this could be a potentially different uh, solution to all of these problems. So what is the what are the businesses of the future look like? Um, is an interesting question. But I, I do think, I, I, you go. I, I think it's interesting because I, I feel like the, the back office is getting harder and harder to hide. Um, you know, so now when we talk about purpose-driven businesses, it, it, you need to think about your back office. You need to think about your community. You need to think about all of those pieces because it's, it's you know, it's easy for you to say, I'm all about female entrepreneurs but then I come to your business and you've hired 18 men, you know, so you're the only female and there's 18 men. They'd like something's off. And I think we see that a lot with, with, um, you know, policies like BEE where people stick the right number of people in the right seats. But then when you go down a layer or two layers or three layers or four layers, you, you start seeing a very different picture. And I think people are, are waking up to that. It's not, it's not as easy to just sort of, lie anymore because like, that stuff comes and it, it finds you and it haunts you.
0: Be- eventually it does. I mean I I I think of purpose this way that purpose should inform your behavior. Mm. Right? Um it is your it is the 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 North Star of your conscience. It is not the responsibility of marketing and it is also not the responsibility of HR if you have a leader in business today who still thinks that purpose is advertising, then that business has very little chance of succeeding in the future, at least in the ways mm-hmm. that matter. So when we speak about growth um, the new, I guess, the, the thing that's important for, for us in our business and how we invite people we work with, it's important that there's an element of citizenship as well. So you cannot just be in the business to buy the newest Bentley. And that's fine if that's your thing. But I'm a lot more interested in what you're doing for your Mm. community. What are you doing that's costing you money, right, but giving you back some sleep? Because that's what citizenship Mm. does. It helps you sleep better at night. But you have to invest in that process up front. I mean, in the recent while we've come into contact with the work of Belgotex, I knew – absolutely nothing about them. But I am fascinated and incredibly um, inspired by just how single-minded that CEO has been in fixing the insides before he could go out and deliver pretty pictures and well-packaged messages for the marketplace. So when you see that happen, and it's driven by a young gentleman who is very clear that he wants to, what does he say? He wants to tread lightly on Mm -hmm. the earth. Um, and uplift community as 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 the business unfolds. So so we're seeing these examples. There aren't enough of them, um, but they're encouraging.
1: But I think it's it's an interesting take because now if you think about it, if he's spending that much time and energy focusing on the people of his company and the the, the people that they are living with and you know their communities, essentially. You, you're building a marketing engine that you don't have to pay for because everyone from that business is going out there into the world in their spare time and they're talking about it. You know, And that's what people so often spend hundreds of thousands of rands to try and get one fifth of that kind of conversation going. And ultimately he's made a company that that's probably better to work for, which means you're getting access to discretionary effort. You're getting access to, to people's best selves. So, so your business is functioning better. Then all of those people are going out there and spreading the gospel, you know, in a, in a way that you're not having to like pull them in a room and be like, everybody like this link on Facebook, you know, like they, they kind of doing it of their own, own volition. And I think ultimately that bleeds out into into the the world, and then when your your product's out there, people are more likely to pick it, and they're more likely to seek it out, and they're more likely to to be interested in what you you're doing.
0: That is true. I mean, there the are two things which you which you've said, and I agree with you completely. I think the the first one is you don't have to pay for social influencers. If you, if your community, as in your employee base, can become your brand ambassadors, mm. so it's so for me, it's just nonsensical that you're going to pay someone outside of your business to say amazing stuff about your business when the people inside your business are not having the benefit of living and experiencing just how magical it is.
1: that
0: business is. Right? So, so that's the so that's the first part, and then the second part is we now know that um, future fit businesses are the businesses that function at the pace of purpose right not at the pace of profit mm. at the pace of purpose so if you're not if you truly aren't galloping with purpose as your as your pacemaker and your pace setter then i i, I mean i don't i don't know what sort of business you're going to have in another 10 years yes you'll have people who will say we're too big to fail maybe you are But over time, when you're starting to ask the very fundamental questions about where is the brand Mm -hmm. love versus a grudge purchase, then you will start to see the 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 difference and the distinction.
1: I think it is such an interesting because there's certain businesses that are successful, and I put somebody like Amazon into this category. That Amazon is huge and and it's got everything, and that is an edge for them. But most people who are Amazon customers. Are not over the moon with Amazon. They're over the moon with the convenience of Amazon, which is a very easy thing to replicate. And I say easy in a in a thing, because you're gonna have to replicate quite a large, complex machine. But as yeah. soon as somebody else is more convenient, you know, or has more choice, people will start to switch. Sure. Whereas I think there's other brands, and if I think locally, there's people like um, Makosa, and um, Matosa, you know, and that brand people love. They love it. They love it with all their heart. Uh, Wander Lafoto is another great example. Like he can make anything, and people will buy it. Like those people are in, and even though his prices are are are, are quite high, people want it. They they desperately need that product. And I think there's something interesting that they're speaking in a language. And in a way that is getting people to switch on in in a much deeper level than just the the transactional or the convenience or the the benefits of the product.
0: That is, and and you and you make an example with Amazon, which is fantastic because we we are buying the convenience, we are not buying into into the substance of that mm-hmm. brand, and those are two different things. But unfortunately, when you're sitting around a table with with beam counters and number crunches, for them, numbers are the matrix, whereas for people like you and I, hearts would be the matrix, right? How many people are we carrying mm. with us versus how many cents are we counting? And it, and it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. If you do this long enough, as Unilever has shown us over time, I mean, everybody uses that example about just how they the transform their portfolio, to tell a different story, a story of affirmation versus a story of mm. lack, is that eventually you do see that the profits don't necessarily suffer. So I guess the question to ask is what is the, what is the unit, what, what do we use to measure growth? for businesses of the future.
1: When we talk, you know, when we're helping our clients to to articulate their purpose, we think it's, it just becomes another lens. So so while you look at things, you're about to start a new project or a new venture, you look at all the things, you go, okay, well, market size, profitability, resource. Now there's another thing that you can add on top of that, which is purpose. Like is this on purpose? Is this off purpose? Is this driving us closer or further away from where We ultimately need to be. Um, And I think that is, uh, it opens up for a different kind of conversation because sometimes choosing profit over purpose is not the best long-term. It's it's a great short-term tactic, but it's not a great long-term success thing.
0: So it's wonderful when you have a CEO, um, Ross, who understands that, right? So that the conversation isn't about we're doing this because the c e o said so. We are doing it because it is a true expression of our mm-hmm. purpose, so that's the first piece. The second piece is once we have landed on our purpose, we don't have to second guess ourselves right so the so so it doesn't change because red is in season, therefore we should be doing all things red. It is Purpose for me when beautifully articulated, it is articulated in absolute mm. terms, not in relative terms. So it's not we are better than or we are faster than or we are we are larger than. It is we are. Um, and we define it to align and inform everything we are, everything we produce, and every and and how we behave with each other, how we behave inside the organization, in community and in society. So yeah, when I I think what's wonderful is that having outfits like yours challenge um, business leaders to think succinctly about their purpose, you probably bring on a level of interrogation that they may not necessarily undertake willingly Mm. or understand well enough to do on their own. So it's the brave ones who show up, right? Because I think the people who need and help. Often don't go to the doctor yeah. until they really, really have to. So it's wonderful when you have somebody show up and just say, I have a feeling we could be better. We could do better. Please show us how we can do I that. I love
1: that. I mean, my, my, an example I read the other day, uh, if you know the company Burton, um, they're, they're the largest yes. snowboard brand on earth. So, so for a snowboarding company, there's the biggest. so they are in, in like monetary terms, they're the most successful. But they, the founder of the business was also an avid snowboarder. In fact, he was one of the people who invented the – he took it from surf people who put surfboards on mountains into snowboarding. And he codified into the DNA of Burton that I think one of their values is we are riders and we create for riders. And they have a company rule that if there is more than 10 inches of snow, fresh snow on the mountain, the, sh- the business is closed. Because the day that they would rather be in the office working than, than on the mountain with their snowboard, they've lost sight of the only thing that's really important. And I think it's, it's such a lovely thing because it shows that there's, there's infinite success to be had and there's infinite profit to be had and there's infinite growth to be had. But you can keep that, that, that single thought at the center of everything you do. And I think ultimately Burton's success is not that rule, but it's it's appealed to a group of people, a specific group of people who've been attracted to that company to build those products and sell those products and ride on those products and love those products, and that's why they're successful.
0: That's an incredible story because I think when you have people who are pushing back and who will say, but if we do this purpose thing, it's going to cost us money, and you can show them examples of people who actually – are doing this purpose thing and they're still thriving financially, because then, then it just silences the noise. But it, it it the the persuasion that is still left, um, particularly in this country, one is to reverse uh, businesses' obsession with hiring CAs as CEOs, mm-hmm. two is having brand builders on boards, because if you don't have the voice of the consumer represented at board level then you're just speaking to each other about beans and numbers and nobody else is actually saying, hey, how are we paying to, attention to the experience? The third piece is if we started, I guess, measuring um, the profitability of purpose-led brands at a at a level, which is at the scale of a JSE, then you would start seeing businesses take this stuff mm-hmm. seriously. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, un- it's unfortunate that to drive change, you almost have to introduce yet one more thing for people to do and be measured against before it can become habit. But, um, I mean, I, short of clapping them on the side of the head, I, I actually think that that is what needs to happen because there's no point in um, saying we embrace purpose, but it doesn't reflect on your strategy. and saying we we embrace purpose, but it is you don't measure your executives against their ability to to live out that mm. purpose because if if it's just a statement that's in your elevators then it's then it's just
1: you know pretty pretty so now so now tell me what like what are some of the things you know by, by working with with um, female entrepreneurs like what are the things that you've seen and and uh, you know like how have you seen this play out positively, and, and what are the things that you, you found that you weren't necessarily expecting um, in your work?
0: Several things. So let's start with the good stuff, right? The good stuff is um, many of the women in our community are very confident, right, about their abilities to run successful businesses, but also about, and they're very intentional, about their impact on society so there's a level of confidence but also there's an intentionality here that says we want to impact society the second piece is they recognize that through their businesses they also can start to change the narrative Mm. so you can either change the narrative by being a female-owned enterprise in engineering versus event planning because i don't know why everybody has to go into event planning and wedding planning then the then the another piece is just the need for diversification. So part of what we're doing is challenging people to answer the question: why did you start your business? Right? Because sometimes it is, I'm pissed off at my boss, I work at this big agency, I can do this myself, right? Or I want to be my own boss so I can profit all the money. So that's why mm-hmm. I'm doing it. The third one is oh, my mother used to sell tomatoes and I, I think I can also sell something, so I'm just going to try and do this. But whatever whatever the response we get, we drive them to the place that says it has to be defined in ways that have nothing to do with what you produce. Mm. And that's where the rigor starts, right? So in in the early stage immersions, that is the first loophole they must come through, which is the definition of, of your purpose, um universe. What we're finding, which is fantastic, particularly because many of these women are under 40, is how deliberate they are about citizenship. You know, how deliberate they are about the thing we call the five G's. So let's walk you through these archetypes. So the first one is, all of them are aware that they have a unique gift and they don't take that gift for granted but that gift is what drives their pursuit for greatness yet they understand that to be great you also have to have discipline so because greatness doesn't have a day off right you, you i mean serena williams doesn't say it's it's raining it's been raining for seven days so i'm actually not going to practice she shows up whether whether people are watching or not the third one is this idea of of grit the ability to keep coming back. Every, even when you have a setback, you catch your breath, you know, you take a knee just to gather your thoughts again, but you go back into the middle of that arena. The fourth G that we're finding as a, as a uniqueness, at least um, about these entrepreneurs, is their generosity, mm. the willingness to win, but to win with others, right? So here then are some unique skill sets that we're starting to see, and i'm suggesting that if this is what we need to cultivate in female entrepreneurs perhaps we are on on a winning wicket perhaps we have now started to find the secret ingredients we can start to give people so they can develop a new muscle and continue to grow on the flip side though i don't know whether it's a function of the times in which we live some of the ladies that we've come into contact with have um, an obsession with this thing I call the freemium world, you know, the, okay, hi, is this free? No, it's not free. Okay. I don't yeah. want it. No, 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 no. If you're not going to invest in your own growth, then why should I invest? In yes. It? You know, so, so, so it's a, it's a balancing act. It's the When you're seeking mentorship, define it from the, Position of what you are going to contribute. Not Ross. Can you be my mentor? Yeah. And then Ross says, "What are you going to teach me?" And you turn around. And you go, "Nothing." You are the one who's supposed to teach me everything. So, so we're trying as much as we can to to have these ladies give what they're asking for, but also lead with the giving, understanding that the getting will take care of itself. So, these are just some of the the, the early indicators. One that there's room. For what we want to do, two that there's a market that's hungry uh, for what for what we're doing, and three that if we if we connect the need to the solutions we are devising, we surely can have some lasting influence.
1: I love that. Um, I, I like I like that. There's a is that element. You know, either you called it citizenship or gratitude. That there's this element of, of understanding your place and you know we always say to people like let's let's start by the assumption that your company doesn't just get to exist like now answer the question why should i care about you why do you matter why why should anyone pay you any attention and therefore give you any of their time money or or any of the things that you're seeking to do and that's uh, an interesting question and i think it's great when you can i think it's easier for companies Newer companies, smaller companies, more agile companies have a much easier job of this because they're, they're much closer to that, that entry point and they're much more able to shift culture and behavior. Uh, I think a big bank, a big telco, a multinational corporation, for them to change the direction of that ship is going to take a long time. And I think that's that's the opportunity for these these businesses that have aspirations of greatness. Like, they can't move at the speed you can. So you can step into a space that they just can't. And, you know, there's there's an amazing example here locally of Kingsley Cola. And they they understood yeah. the people that they serve. They understood that market and they made a product that was in two liters because they know that people are price conscious and it's important for them. And they were they were at the right points. And they managed to take out Coca-Cola, which is you know, it, most people would look at Coke as an unbeatable foe. Like, don't even bother. Like, because as soon as they see you, they're going to stamp on you, and you're finished. And I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that in the next ten years, Kingsley will probably steal a significant chunk of the market away from a company like Coca-Cola. And they were able to do it because they were more, they were more close to to that human truth. They were more close to that thing, and they were able, able to sort of design around it.
0: And and the fascinating thing is when you are small and you're you're in the startup and growth phase, you don't have any legacy issues, Mm. right? And and part of what we're seeing is that these big corporates, the reason they're resisting this transformation and change, is because they are looking at it from a position of loss. So it is fear of loss. What am I going to lose? Whereas as a startup, you're looking at it from a position which I call the hope of gain. What am I going to gain? Mm. So if so if you're lot defined, there's very little you're going to do to just keep moving. Whereas if you are gain defined and and contribution focused, you're a lot more agile because the accuracy of of your, of your of your of your ecosystem design is premised around people's lived experiences. Unfortunately, the bigger you get, the more concentric circles form between you and the people you're supposed to be mm-hmm. serving, right? So then there's the legal team, and then there's the procurement team, and there's, there's the PR, and then there's the stakeholder engagement. So every circle and complexity you introduce into your business as a corporate is just another layer that separates you from the people you serve. So, for example, in our business, we, we try and, and get our clients to understand that there's no such thing as, as a target market. Because the language of targeting means I'm coming at you to get something from mm-hmm. you. But if you were to think about it as the people, the communities you serve already changes the language and it therefore changes your intention. So when you're serving, is different from when you're selling. Because the, the, even just the, the, those two words on their own just carry different vibrate, energy vibrations, I
1: feel. I think that's such a, a lovely, a lovely thing to to close out on. It's such a a, a simple shift. We always talk about the idea of an audience, um, and I come back to my days when I was, uh, you know, I had a, a brief stint in in drama at school, and an audience for an actor is somebody who shows up at a theatre at a specific time, spends their money, walks into a room, sits down in a chair, and watches the stage, and I think. If you think about the people that you're trying to to sell to or communicate to as an audience how do you make them want to make that choice it's 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 a, like you said it changes the way you think about how you're communicating how you're marketing and how you're branding to to get these people to choose you as opposed to you grabbing them or attacking them <laughs>
0: That that is do like the idea of grabbing them or attacking them. And there's something, there's something wonderful. I mean, we know it also just in our personal lives, that there's something wonderful when somebody chooses you because they vibe with your values. And it's the same thing in business. If people choose you because they vibe with your values, the, you have a greater opportunity for, for transitioning from a contact to a connection. Mm. And this is what purpose gives you. Purpose gives you an opportunity to use your business entity to make a connection with another human being versus making contact. Because contact is one, I'm out. Connection demands authenticity. It demands transparency. It it also, in itself, starts to suggest things around longevity and relationship. And that's a wonderful thing. So I think it's an it's an incredibly beautiful. Thing. I mean, I've been using Toms of Maine toothpaste since I got to the US for the first time, which was 1995. And the reason I've done that with also with Bird's Bees until Bird's Bees was sold, is I I bought into the ethos of those founders, and and I vibe at that at the level of their values. So if if your values are aligned with mine, it doesn't matter what you charge. I'm going to commit your enterprise because you have committed to something that is true and central in me.
1: I love that and I think that's such a, a great note to end the, the conversation on So, I Thank you so much for, for coming on for a second time and who knows, maybe when we're doing the third season we'll try and rip you in. You can be kind of like, become like our, our guest on every single uh, season of the podcast.
0: No, thank you, Ross. It, I mean, it would be lovely because perhaps when we next speak, we then will have more results um, and stories to share with you about the success, evolution and and impact of the women in our finest hour. So
1: thank you. Well, I look look forward to seeing you in your finest hour and all of the ladies that you are serving in in their finest hours. Thank you very much. Fantastic.
0: Thank you, Roz. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening. In the words of Carlos Corbyan, sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please send it on to them. This is our second season, and we'd be super grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button. And if you think we're worth it, give us a review. We welcome feedback, good or bad. We release an episode every two weeks. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a purpose-led branding company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you'd like to further this conversation, reach out at www.nicework.ca, And if you're a little bit old school, let us know and we'll make you a mixtape.